Alrighty. How you going? All right. I've been very <laughs> contemplative this week, Neil. Ooh. I've got some. Why is that? Because, man, like I, I, I re-listened to this old self-help tape from the seventies. Um. By who? Oh God, what is her name now? I can't believe I've forgotten it. She ran like she's she's got the B oh yeah, Hay House Publishing, Louise Hay House. Um she uh basically was just talking about in her Martha Stewart voice. Hmm. What drives you? I don't know, man, like <sighs> this is probably gonna be like a pretty intense pod. Do you want to go down that rabbit hole? Because I've got the other option of just like, do you believe in aliens and shit? No, no, no. (laughs) Let's go down that rabbit hole. All right, all right. Because you know what? Like, I I did think of you when I was thinking of it because I knew that like you, you, you'd probably be into it. I've contemplated those sorts of things. Well, what do you reckon does? We had a conversation when I stayed with you at Lithgow would be three years ago now where we said men are driven by one of three urges sex money or power yeah well that's one way you still agree with that or when you say what drives you what there's different frames specifically like what are we what are we talking about the darwinian urges that are driving us to to just go and eat and and mate or are we talking about an overarching philosophical or uh, religious ideal that is driving us. You like, know what, what I think is the most important one to look at because I think it just determines everything else that you do in your life is mm. your psychological drive because everything else is overlaid in that. Now, like, look, obviously if you're starving, yeah, yeah. you're just going to be trying to look for coconuts in the, in the desert island, right? But after those needs have been satiated, mm. everything after that is just going to come back to... What are you trying to get? And I think that that's like the drive. I think that's the drive anyway. Because like, yeah, you can look at it as like sex, money or power. And there's definitely truth to that. But I think that there's like, okay, so like Tony Robbins breaks it down in like six ways. He says that there's just like certainty, uncertainty, um, that there's uh, growth, contribution, and then there's... Damn it, what were the other ones? Oh, yeah, connection and significance. Certainty, uncertainty, connection, okay. significance, growth, contribution. And he's saying that these two, like growth and contribution, are kind of just like they're, they're these kind of spiritual things that you kind of should be moving towards. But most people, because these are more base, and they are really, if you think about it, certainty, uncertainty, growth, contribution. Those are the things that are going to drive you is certainty, certainty slash uncertainty one component? D- different, completely different. They're different, are they? But some people are driven by... Because I think that this is the other thing as well. You are driven by two, primarily. That like once one need is met, you'll sit, hit the other one. Are you driven to uh, look for certainty in amidst uncertainty? Is that his argument? No, no he's let's, saying... Let's break uh, each of those down. Okay, so certainty. If someone is driven by certainty... I'm assuming that what they will be doing is they'll be trying to buy a house really early on in their life. Um, they'll be wanting to have a stable job. They will, like, okay. a steady amount of income that okay. is, like, very reliable. Their whole life is based around reliability. They don't like the feeling of being out of control. Okay, so they know what's happening tomorrow. They know what's coming next. They know the next step in their life. Well, they want to. They want to, sure. Okay. And the thing that scares them is when that kind of, like, gets taken away. So... A lot of people that say like, you know, when there's like a family unit breakdown, usually people that are in those like nuclear families, Mm. that a massive reason as to why they really hate that is because the certainty has been eroded. Basically their routine has been eroded. But then there's people that are driven by uncertainty. And are these, uh, do you think everyone has some aspects where they're driven by certainty and some where they're driven by uncertainty or, or are there certain people... That wants certainty and some that just want uncertainty. How, okay, what do you mean when people when someone's driven by uncertainty? Do they actually want chaos? Like, what do you... Yeah. Yeah. Really? They want that. See, what it's sort of weird to you do, to think what's about an example, that. What's, 
what's the sort of example of an archetype who wants? Dude, I'm... I just think of the Joker when I hear yeah. that. Yeah. Like is. a psychopath. Well, there's like a dark... Because this is the other way, right? Like, there's a million ways of getting uncertainty and, like, other people's needs for uncertainty associated in different ways. So say that you were, like, driven by certainty. Mm. If you were driven by uncertainty, you'd be like, oh, instead of making Rice crispy squares, I'm just going to make muffins. And then they'd have that uncertainty need satiated right but then there's like dudes okay. that are really into extreme sports so like skydiving from space bro ah oh, i see yeah, yeah and that would satiate their uncertainty but then like you know people like the joker yeah they're just like i'm gonna shoot a tv host you know there's yeah, like okay it, it depends like there's all these different vehicles of meeting it so would the would the sort of more moderate interpretation of that be uh variety for example variety good example yeah. I mean, because all of these words are a little bit interchangeable. Well, I would, well, you would think like variety but would be like a step below uncertainty, right? So someone who's like, oh, there are five options for dinner tonight, but, but there's, still, <laughs> there's still certainly in those five options, but there's variety among those five options where someone who's driven completely by uncertainty would say, no, nah, just, I'm just not even going to make dinner tonight. Yeah, I suppose there is that as well. And the other thing is that like usually people that are... Because this is the other thing, right? I think I've talked to you about this before and I think that this is... God, I, 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 I could talk for a whole, and I do. I talk for days. In fact, I just went away to Brisbane with my friend Mislov. It's pretty much all we talked about for four days. But there's just this thing of like by this book, like Way Him, Way Her by Helen Fisher. And she's just basically saying that there's four uh, chemicals that run through your brain. So this is like the biological way of like what oh, yeah. drives you, right? Yeah, you, I think you've mentioned this in a, another podcast. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it's... Uh, uh, serotonin, yeah, testosterone, serotonin, and yeah. If if you are run by serotonin, usually you are going to be seeking certainty. Mm-hmm. People that are high in serotonin, they're called builders, right? Like they want a stable plan ahead That's of right. them. They find it really relaxing writing out plans and schedules of their day. That sounds like me. And do you do have a lot of that vibe? Because you're like, you you don't like confrontation. You like having like a a big social network as well. Like you like having like. You like having a lot of knowing a lot of people in a lot of different areas and like talking to them in those areas, I think. Sure. And yeah. you like. I definitely like certainty and routine. You like certainty I and routine. I plan out my week. You're a calm dude. I plan out my life. I try to. Yeah. You're not, you're not, and, and usually like. Generally calm. I have my uh, well, chaotic do- moments. Yeah. I mean, everyone does, but like look, for me, for instance, you're a lot calmer than say I am or most people that I know. Your range of emotion that I've seen you in. Yeah, but you'd yeah, see but you that as a thing, right? If you right? lived with me or something, you'd probably see a, a, a greater variety in a range of motion. Yeah, but if I lived with someone who was like high in dopamine that like is run by uncertainty, I would see a way different sure. range. Of, you, give me, I'll give you a really fucking good example of this, right? So you bought a house early. Um, you've planned out your life, even though you are, and I think that this is like how you have met uncertainty is the fact that you are doing a career in comedy, which is just inherently like if you're in the entertainment industry, it's uncertain. You never, even if you're like, you know, I do crave certainty in it I, as much as possible. I try to create certainty, certainty in, in it. within it. Yeah. Which is why I think you've been successful in this field because most people that are in it are usually just chasing the uncertainty bit. Right? Yeah. Um, I can see that. Dude, I've got a really good example. One of my mates from high school recently. Is this certain, a good example of certainty or uncertainty? Uncertainty. Someone who's like driven by dopamine as opposed to, which is the exact opposite of you, dopamine. So the high, they're just the high that Looking they get. Looking for the highs yeah, all the time. Yeah, sure. Looking for just constant energy, right? Like, okay, so he has been in a band for five years, but they're always on and off because they're all just, again, dictated by dopamine. Just being like, whatever's fun at the moment. Recently, he was sleeping on the couch Somebody just like painted like a Hitler swastika on his head. And then he was just like, that's it. Someone's put like, you know, face paint on me that you could easily wipe off. And then he walked into this guy's room, bathroom, and just like got a fucking cricket bat and just started smashing the shit out of like the glass panel and the mirror. See, dude, just the fact that you're just sitting there being like, fuck. That's not. But dude, like you could. Is that normal? Exactly right. But yeah. It's not normal, but there is people that, like, if I said that to them, they'd is just that, be like, what a freak. But, yeah, I guess I'd do that. Is that just how he's built, or is he being conditioned to act that way? Like, do you think, how malleable are these uh, traits? You know what I think normally happens to people that are high in dopamine? It's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword because they are 
usually very creative people purely because they just run on the fly. And it's like what we're talking about in that fun podcast, right? That some people are just inherently fun. Yeah. Um, so they're always just going off the moment. So they are creative yeah. and they live a fun, interesting life. Like this guy, the stories that he has is just like, like, man, I listen to them and I feel like I've been on an adventure. They're, they're just filled with all of these like ups and downs, right? And and okay. they seem to have this life of like dizzying highs, terrifying lows. What I usually think happens to these people a lot of the time is they just become drug addicts. And it's because it's just like, it's, it's a quick... Dude, if all you're thinking about, because you are kind of thinking long-term and you're thinking about plans and things like that, sure. right? But if you're not and, and someone's just like, here, here's MDMA, and you're just like, oh, I, all I care about is fun right now. Mad. You're just going to be like, yeah, Matt, take it. But but still, like, do you think these, uh, do you think people are born that way or do you think um, there are cultural and environmental influences? Well, that's the psychological part because what I'm saying is like, the interesting part about it is because the biological part, you can't do anything about that. So people are just born with a higher yeah. dopamine, higher serotonin. Yeah. Okay. And they, they, they feel comfortable in it as well. Like, dude, when I was saying those kind of stories to you of like that guy just going in and just like smashing up someone's bathroom and shit like that. Like, dude, your response was just like, like eyes wide. Like you would never want to do that shit, you know? But some people would no. just be like, D- dude, that sounds sick, you know? But it's I'd because- have to be pushed to an extreme. Like excruciating limit to do that, not just have yeah, face paint, face on, paint on you. If there was a sort of build up, if they've been, I don't know, tormenting me for a few weeks, maybe, but I can't see myself ever doing that. There were times when I was in high school where I just lost it. Yeah, but that's like for my friends or whatever. But and what's that about? That's again chemicals. It's just like yeah. testosterone is being pumped into your body yeah, exactly. at that because you're 18. Yeah, yeah. But I think yeah. Then the other ones, I guess, is. Um, testosterone and estrogen yeah now as i was saying in this previous one like because it just goes back to the psychological one but i guess it's probably better to start with the biological base people that are uh motivated by testosterone which is me it's not like everyone everyone always just assumes that it's kind of just like yeah you know but i think actually testosterone that's me me right now bro (laughs) shredding and gaining um that's what that's literally what i'm doing yeah you do you are focused on that at the moment hey and like it's it's am, shown bro. in this change of like shirts as well it's I'm all filling it. out these polos <laughs> hey i wasn't it's the two sleeve years ago. that's what they want yeah that oh, it doesn't that. look that good. it doesn't look that good on the camera but <laughs> oh. it's a very 40 year old muscle man thing as well the polo shirt isn't it it's just being like, yep, still going strong. Or just so like a 20-year-old wog guy as well. Yeah, they love that they shit. They love it. Mm. Love the polos. Uh, but yeah, go, okay, so go on. So uh, how does the, the testosterone... Well, think about like what a quintessential man usually does, which is just get really obsessed with one subject. Just autism. And that's pretty <laughs> much how my brain works. I just get okay. really obsessed with one subject over and over my whole life i just get extremely hyper focused on it i want to learn every detail of it and then i move on like years later but yeah. I'm, I'm i'm really into like breaking down the machinery of something but isn't that isn't that a sort of you can attribute that to consistency hmm? you want this you just want to study the same thing that sounds yeah but the thing is consistent that, yes that's true and like again this is where like the psychology of it kind of like overlaps and the psychology changes, but the other one doesn't, right? Yeah. Because um, you're also a pretty organized guy. No, I am not. You're not? No. Seems like it. Because I do one thing all day. So it's really easy to organize my life because okay, I'm just yeah, interested sure. in doing one thing. Right. Like, And again, like, yeah, you could say that that's routine, right? But Or like that I want stability. But the thing is that you would want you would crave stability more than i would be craving stability i'm not craving stability like if i was if i was homeless but i had like a piece of cardboard to sit there and just be like labor's policy and shit greens policy like i i'd sit there and be like you know like that's just how my brain works then there's people that are into estrogen and estrogen is kind of just like A good example, like it can be men and women. It's usually almost always women, but they're okay. just people that are just very interested in other people. Yeah, okay. And they like having very deep, intimate connections with people. 
They're interested. They're interested in other human beings. Testosterone people usually aren't. They're usually just interested in the idea that they have in their head. Um, interested I, in things. Interested in things. Think in ideas. It's the it's the Jordan Peterson thing. He was yeah. saying men are interested in things, women are interested in people. Okay. Now it, it does switch because the example that they were using in the book is that Bill Clinton is basically a woman. Did you say this was from the seventies? This no no the, the other book that I'm like I'll go back to that book in a sec, yeah, but I'm just okay. like trying to get this base in because this this was written I think in like 2004 or something. But he uh, they were saying that like Bill Clinton. And you can talk to anybody that meets Bill Clinton, like even Kent Starr and stuff like that, whose whole job was to try and nail him on Lewinsky. He, his famous quote about him was like, every second of every day I hated Bill Clinton until I had to meet him for that five minutes a day that I talked to him, at which point in those five minutes I loved Bill Clinton. He's just a really likable dude because he's just really, he's very estrogen based. He's just based in like, he's a people person. Connects with people. Connects with people. And that's why people like Slick Willie, even though he's like, you know, like a womanizer and he's clearly got sins and things like that. Yeah. They see that he's got like this kind of nice thing of just, he likes people. Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, hated, really despised. Why? Because she's a man. Like Bill Clinton's a woman. And Hillary Clinton's a man. Like, she's just really into testosterone things. She's she's a policy wonk. She's obsessed with, like, you know, like, yeah. Middle Eastern policy and shit like that. Wow, you but sound she, like uh, like one of those um, conservative radio hosts right now. Yeah, but Hillary dude, is a man. <laughs> Bill I mean, is look a at woman. that out in chapel. All those Democrats are women. <laughs> Goddamn <please. laughs> I always made that point. If you were a true man, you'd be a Republican. <laughs> And they're always fat. I love that. I'm all about yeah, that. I'm all about like, a fat guy yelling into a golden mic. That just increases your estrogen, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would assume that most of those radio hosts, especially if they're talking about politics, would just be high in testosterone because they're just like really obsessed with a subject, right? So those are, that's the biological breakdown, right? Now, let's just move back to the psychological one of like, yes. Okay, so I would imagine that you personally, if, if from, judging from what you're saying... You're probably interest. You you are a builder. You're like high in serotonin. You want that. You crave that stability. So you're kind of motivated by certainty. Now everybody has all of these needs. They need scratched. Like everyone wants to feel special. Everyone wants to feel loved. Everyone wants to feel uh, you know, like excitement. Everyone wants to feel safe. Those are those four things that you're trying to meet, right? Yeah. But it's just like which priority are you trying to meet them in? Mm, Okay. Right. What does it preclude? The does the certainty preclude those other needs, or do those other needs come first? What do you mean? Give, give me, give me. So, some are you looking for? If I'm looking for what is it to feel special? Uh, do I look for the certainty first, or do I look for? Uh, do I do I want to feel special amidst the certainty? Yeah, I think that what what is normally happening is that your brain would be constantly thinking, and again, because it's, it's serotonin. Your brain is constantly looking for ways to feel certain. When the feeling of certainty in your mind, and this is this is why psychology starts to get really weird and it starts lapping over itself, right? Yeah. When you are certain, and that 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 idea of certainty is exclusively to you, like you've just come up with that in your head, and that's like probably just a result of what we're talking about, like with environment. And things like that. Like your your personal definition of certainty is not going to be other people's definition of certainty. And like at the end yeah. of the day, is that even because, dude? Like really, and this isn't just like honing in on you, right? Like this is just like an example. Uh, if if you were homeless tomorrow and you lost your job, um, dude, you'd still be alive. You just go into like a homeless shelter. And you still get fed and shit. Like, there's, like, a safety net there. Yeah. But, like, in your head, you've decided that that's not certainty to you. That's not safety. Okay, so that... You've decided that you need an apartment. So that's where the environmental factors come in. If I'd grown up in a family of drug addicts and people who were high in dopamine, the certainty for me would just, what, be doing the same drug every day? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I get you then, yeah. So... <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> the, the family's like, try some ice, Neil. Oh, I'm just going to stick to the cocaine. That's my yeah, thing. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Cocaine every day. I wake up at seven and I have cocaine. <laughs> That's when I feel happiest. 
<coughs> I do. Yeah, that's it's correct. I do feel. Uh, I feel very content when everything uh, in my life, well, career and 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 finances uh, and relationships, just feel solidified. Yeah. And I can sort of predict the next thing that's coming. Mm, mm. That's when I do feel and very content. What about this? What about this? Do you get upset when things are kind of going out of plan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's the thing. Yeah, it's it's that then. It, there's no there's no way out of this then. Like it's definitely you're a builder and certainty wow, is what I'll drives you. Huh? I'll take it. Well, it's, it's not I'm a bad a thing. Yeah. Well, it's just, like this is the nicknames, right? Okay, so like so I should have said that. Serotonin are builders. Okay. Um uh estrogen are negotiators. Uh, okay. Dopamine people are explorers. It's just easier to remember it this way, I think. And then testosterone are uh, directors. That's directors. how their brains work. How, what are they, they're just directing other people? Well, think about what leadership is, right? What is leadership? It's kind of, Well, in the, in the current context of like the modern world, leadership would be uh, refining other people's thoughts. You know, like when I was talking to Kevin Rudd recently, you know what you realize about like really top tier politicians Basically, they're just really good at explaining things. That's what makes them leaders. Sure. They're just able to break something down and like kind of just make it into measurable steps and kind of explain the big picture. Yeah. That's what leaders do. So I think that it's just kind of like, and look, there's there's different people that will, okay, so like a good example of a leader that was a builder is like George Washington or something, right? And that was like what was talked about in, in history of him. Is, is that because that, he was he was reluctant to be the leader or...? No, it was because the reason because it's it depends on the time. It depends on the time who you want leading. But okay. during like a building kind of process or something like that, it would be the kind of thing of like the American Revolution where you're like outmanned, outgunned. So you want you need like really stable plans and you want stability. some yeah, and you yeah, want sure, someone that doesn't okay. lose their shit. Whereas when things are going well, you want uh the negotiator, right? You want someone like the negotiator, uh, definitely. It was the 90s. Yeah, let's get in Bill Clinton. That kind of shit. Right, okay. Yeah. I don't know when you would ever want someone that's high in dopamine. Maybe the Renaissance or something. But. <laughs> <laughs> when it's just completely gone to shit and there's nothing else going and everyone's just... You just got to improvise, chuck yeah, shit at the wall. Yeah, just try it. <laughs> I guess, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah. Okay. So, like, it, it depends on those kind of things, right? But, like, yeah, usually somebody who's, like, a leader in their field is, like, you know, a thought leader. Okay. So, then, so you're saying what drives uh, you as a uh, as a director is just continually immersing yourself in this one particular area of expertise and gaining as much knowledge as you can in that? Yeah. And then I would say that, like, psychologically, you know what I think it used to be? And I, I hope... I hope that I've moved away from it because I was always very ashamed of it. But I think that significance was the thing that used to drive me. Okay. And I don't like that. But what I do like, and now this is the other thing that I think that everybody needs to start moving towards. But I think that like ideally, huh? You would need significance to be able to direct people, to to direct as many people as possible, especially in your field. Mm. The more significant you are, the more people you can affect. Mm, mm-hmm. So yeah. it's almost a, it's a, it's not necessarily a bad thing if pa- a part of your reason for doing what you do is significance. Yeah, like it's it well like what you, yeah, I agree. Like what what you're saying is that it's like it it it's a uh, it's part and parcel with it. You kind of do need to be driven by that at some point, but I think that what you should be trying to evolve towards is growth and contribution. Okay. Now, I think that I started moving towards it as a result of self-help that I started getting that growth thing satiated. But now that I've just started moving into the realm of politics, I think that, like, just at a certain point in politics, like, you just start naturally thinking about contribution because you're just thinking about big picture stuff. Um, I mean, just going back to significance, there would almost be a necessity in politics. Yeah. Yeah. In- so it's definitely a bad thing. Again, no. Well, none of these things are necessarily bad. It's just that, like, which one is going to be more fulfilling? And I think that this is what Tony Robbins is getting at when he says that growth and contribution are kind of like spiritual needs that need to be fulfilled. Okay. Like it kind of like raises your energy every day. Like it motivates you. It makes you push further, right? Whereas like 
significance, uh, certainty, uncertainty, variety, these things kind of, it's just like, I need that hit. And then once that's satiated, I'm not going to do anything else. But like contribution and growth, it's just this constant thing of just like getting better and better and better and better and better. Yeah. And like, you're just constantly pushing and striving for something more. And as a result of that, you do get better. And those other needs get satiated anyway. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the thing is, I think that the way that you've met certainty is definitely really... Dude, it's it's like it's a very it's a very uh I definitely like financial certainty, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be that it's probably a lot to do with the environment environmental factors when I was growing up as well, don't get me wrong. Mm. But as soon as I have uh, a good amount of money saved up that I know I'm safe for a few months, I feel great. I'm sure everyone would feel it that way. It releases the pressure. But the, don't you think, do you feel that way? But see, no. Like, really? I liked it better when I was poor. I liked that. Really? You know why? Is that because, is that, do you think you've told yourself that? Do you really, you really no, liked no. it better when you did not have No, I understood. Any... I had your feeling. I had your feeling of like, yeah, I felt comfortable when I had that. But I, I don't like the comfort. I like being kind of just like, because, dude, I liked being hungry. Oh, That's okay. what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, like, yeah, I like yeah. the feeling of just being like, fuck, I need, f-, like, Have just to do kind it. of stressing about it and just being like, I need to get this fucking check. It is know? a good motivator. I will, I will, uh, I will concede that when, when you're unsure of your next paycheck, especially in our industry, it, it is a huge motivator. I find I make, uh, I have a, a much greater uh, output. Yeah, when I'm financially uncertain, exactly. I'm like, yes. oh, I need to sell these tickets. It's night and day. Yeah, it's it's completely different. But I need to pay I, off this home loan. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So it's just like a thing of like I I think that if you want to change the psychology of how you get certainty, you can change that and what vehicles you get for it. So like. Let's just look. I, I think we're being like really unfair to people that are just getting like connection and uh, that are get things out of connection and variety. But just try and imagine, like, because I guess when we're just talking about ourselves, just try and imagine which one of those six you are. Sure. And just see how this fits into you. But I'm just going to keep drilling into our lives because it just kind of like fleshes out how this applies to you in this situation, right? So, like, with certainty. If, if, if how like this is probably the best way to ask it when did you feel most certain in your life in my life well, i don't know about that do you feel most certain now or I, have you felt more certain uh, in the past i can't attest to how certain i felt when i was a kid because there was probably a lot less responsibility then and i might have felt more certain then because you know you're just you're just running through the motions there. You're going to school. You're coming home. You're doing your homework. That's about it. Mm. Whereas uh, compared to, where, okay, I'll tell you this. I definitely feel more certain and now than when I did when I just started comedy without an internet following because I had no idea what was happening. Yeah, of course. But I was also hungrier. Yeah, yeah. I will say that. Yeah, but the thing is that now. Uh, see what's happened there is that like your definition has changed of what is certain because when you were a kid yeah there was there wasn't really so, a goalpost so you can manipulate the 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 sort of uh, the narratives we're telling ourselves about the need that we that we uh most value so i can i can alter what i perceive as certainty yes yeah and okay. that is really useful to know and you should be thinking about it that is. frequently because uh, what's your what uh what have you been contemplating about your uh your director mindset and and how you can uh change and manipulate that because now this is my i think i was talking about this a few podcasts ago before i think i just got certainty satiated when i just kind of in my mind saw myself as i don't know i like it's different because the the internet as i'm talking about in my new stand-up show but the internet is more balkanized but like People like you and I actually are really of the forefront of our generation when it comes to like we we are the closest things that there is to like roves and stuff like that. There and it then is. when I got there, talking to each other up. 
Love it. <laughs> well, it's true, right? Like, okay, maybe not the Roves or whatever, but like, you know, Peter Hellyers, your Kitty Flanagans. Like, they, they, there's, there's, a, there's a class every Australia of comedian, right? Yeah. I just need to check the time there. Obviously, they're going to be bigger because the media back then was more consolidated. So more people just, is what you were saying, right? If you were just like five minutes on the footy show, you were viral by definition. Well, those were the days. Those were the days. But now you can have like 30 viral videos that and was still. A, I crave that certainty back then. Yeah. But I look at them and I'm like, oh, that, I was, know. that made. was certain. Made. Oh. But also, no, you wouldn't be because you're constantly just being like, fuck, if the CEO of Channel 9 is pissed off at me in the slightest, I'm done. But there's, there's give and takes. There's give yeah. and takes in every scenario. Fair, fair. Um, but... Anyway, so that happened, and then I was kind of just like, yeah, this is this is kind of cool or whatever, but it wasn't really that satiating. Now, the way that I uh, am pushing that, because I, I think that my, my, uh, my modus operandi has shifted to contribution, and that is a conscious decision, because I can't change the fact that I'm a director. I wish that I could, mm-hmm. I re- and this is the other thing when it comes to partners, right? Like, you would probably want to be dating someone else who is a builder, because it would, like make you it again like it would feed into that certainty of the fact that somebody else kind of has like these common goals with you and they want to meet those goals it's very true i can't take spontaneity in a partner <laughs> yeah, that's a very that's, that's not something i've dealt with let's go for a road trip what no yeah i know it no, part of the plan. i planned the whole day Ooh. it's actually an, the, the, that has literally happened it's yeah it makes sense. Yeah, well. So that's who you should be aiming for, right? But I yeah. find in when I'm talking to people, like the the, the the thing that like calms me is your Bill Clintons of the world, just being like, "That's nice. Oh, that's a nice picture." Like, I want, I want, basically want to be dating a kindergarten teacher. And anyway, so like, that, <laughs> okay. very um, specific. Yeah, man. But that's that's well, any anyone those kind of. Mum jobs, kindergarten teacher, nurse, that kind of stuff. Uh huh. Um, but the thing that I was uh was moving to is that yeah, okay. So what happened is that I started moving into contribution. That was a conscious decision that I could use my directorship to move it into contribution. How do I do that? Is that I just like learn something obsessively, and this is why. And you would know this because you've just hung around me so much because of this pod that I never shut the fuck up about media bias. I made a whole stand-up show about media bias. Is that your new show? That's my new show. Okay. My whole, my whole goal now is to try and break that down as much as possible. That's what motivates me now is media bias. Okay. I think about it all the time. I would be very interested to uh, delve further into that. We do have time. Um, But go on, just finish your point about your your, uh, transition from significance to contribution. So it was just basically like, do I like the... And it's fine. If you like being driven by significance, I just think that a lot of people that are driven by significance end up like bankers and shit and i hate that so i it seems like it, it it comes from a uh it comes from a place more of insecurity than anything else well all, this is the th- this is the whole thing this is the whole thing all of these all insecurities of yeah think about okay. it certainty it's an insecurity fair, of just fair, being fair, like fair, i'm fair. not safe at the moment contribution right? is contribution no, this is the thing that's so cool about it is like if you move towards like growth, these four is where everyone starts off. You want to try and constantly move towards growth and contribution, I think anyway. Okay. Because so, these are not set in insecurity. It's like the other, it's the exact opposite. It's kind of just like thinking about outside of yourself, I guess. So that's why you want to be moving towards it. So anyway, so like but basically what happened is just, just because, it's not because I'm like so great or whatever. It's just I've read a lot of self-help and like, I've listened to Tony Robbins talk about this for like five years or whatever. Um, but yeah, he was basically just saying that you should be moving towards contribution. So I started doing that and I started changing the way that my question worked because there's like something called, and this is the way that you kind of like, you get at the core of it. I guess this is the, I think, and this is what Louise Hayes was talking about as well. This is the way that you navigate through the world because your whole brain it's just this assessment tool. Like it's constantly just asking questions. It's just being like, what's going on now? Is that, is that a threat? Is, is, uh, can I get something from that? Like it's just it's thinking that shit, right? 
but there's one primary question that you're constantly asking yourself. There's one thing that your brain is just on this one track loop over and over again. Um, I'll give you an example. And then like, if you could think of what yours is, like it'd probably be pretty cool to think about. Right. Okay. Which is that like mine used to be, how do I make this situation funny? That was what I was, that is what I was obsessed with throughout high school, through university, and you know what happened? As soon as I became a comedian, it just kind of, I was like, nah, I don't give a shit anymore. I kind of just realized I've got that so tool ironic now. because then you're a comedian. Weird. And there's a necessity and to make happens. a situation funny. You notice that? That a lot of comedians you speak to, they're like actually really serious people. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this podcast. Exactly. This is a perfect it's example. Weird. Yeah. You know why? Because like after, you just get sick of thinking of fucking funny shit. Like it's just like, it's just this one track dimension that you kind of just like, ah, it's, a, it's more it. like a technical skill for me now. When exactly. I write comedy, yeah. I sort of know the, uh, the machinations of it so yeah. well that I just, okay, Can't that comes there, then that comes next. All right, I need this. I need the punchline here. I need the setup here. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not, it's, there's nothing funny about the process. Yeah. And that's what happens as well. Like it just becomes, it's, there's no mysticism to it anymore. There's no, there's no magic to it. Yeah. It's, it's a machine piece. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that it's happened. It's a trade, really. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is, dude, it is a trade. It has been around since ancient Rome. And answering your question, I think I, I like to think I've transitioned a bit more towards growth lately, but previously I, I wouldn't say I was, uh, uh, immune to the, the the desire for significance either. No one is. I definitely wanted that. Well, you, you dude, you want all of these things. You want, th- these are the six human needs. You want these. Yeah. Everyone does. Okay. But it's just, which one do you go after? I think a lot of comedians, I mean, to get on stage in front of a, a, a group of strangers or to put yourself out there on the internet and risk whatever backlash you might get, you clearly want some significance there yeah yeah most of them are driven so by that a risky thing to do M- most of them are but i think that the reason that you were more successful than most is because i don't think that maybe that was your secondary drive i don't know but i think that just from everything that i know about you circumstantially like certainty was the thing that was primarily driving you and so you were thinking of it from a different way you were thinking of it like a, a an incremental step-by-step oh, block thing without a doubt yes most yeah. of them don't. Most of them are just like, why am I famous now? Like, that's that's why they think that. No, no, it's always... I've, in fact, everything in my life has been... I see it as an incremental... As, as a ladder. As a ladder. Yeah. Yeah. And see, it's a, a ruthlessly effective... This is the great thing about builders. It is a ruthlessly effective way of getting, like, what you want out of life. Because that is the way to do it. Like, slow and steady wins the race. This bit, then this bit, then this bit, then... Breaking it down into those little building blocks. That's how mm. their brain works. Um, I think that that's the reason anyway. Like, I, if, if like, because, look, if you are just, like, uh, driven by dopamine and you're just constantly thinking about what's fun, instead of sitting there and writing jokes, you're just going to be like, just drugs. Like high. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll think of something funny there, and I, and I won't write it down because that's not fun. The crazy thing is, is because they live, uh, they they just they're so in the moment. They're very naturally funny. Exactly. I've always said there's um three types of comedians, right? There's the people who are just naturally funny. There are the technical joke writers. I'd say I'm one of those, and there and there are character comedians. You know what? I'm I'm the last two. I'm a character comedian, and technical joke writer. I'm definitely not naturally funny. Mm. I don't think you're naturally funny as yourself either. You're a character comedian. Mm, mm. Well, yeah. But there are like, some people who are just naturally... Like, Dave Chappelle is naturally a funny guy. You know what, though? I don't think that's true. I think it's just like he's been funny for so long. He that... was. Yeah, now I'm not so sure. What do you mean? Like, now I think he's tried to transition more into the joke writer, the, the technical joke writer stuff. Yeah, every time I see him... You know he like went to like a performing arts school, right? Like, I think that he's very theatrical. I think he's a good performer. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. It's, it, yeah. well, it's, it's very effective then because it seems extremely natural. No, I think he's a chill dude. Don't get me wrong. And you know what? That That's definitely an element of humor that I don't think most people understand, which is that the, like humor has, it's like an absence of insecurity. When you are just kind of like calm and relaxed, it's a good environment 
again, it's the, it's like the cake base. It's like the cake base for jokes. If it's kind of just like everything that's getting said now at the moment is safe. Mm. And that's why actually Dave Chappelle is able to say like really fucked up jokes like the, the Bill Cosby joke mm. at the end. And the whole audience will be in stitches. It's just because he's got like a very relaxed vibe to him. Yeah, yeah. If he was more intense. Dude, if Bill Burr said that, it would have a completely different reaction. Of course, there are certain jokes that only certain comedians can get away with. Yeah, yeah Bill, Burr's the, Bill Burr's a technical joke writer yeah. to the nth degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's probably, uh, no, I would say he's a funny, naturally a funny guy, but he's got a slight element of that character comedy in him because people just love him as the angry middle-aged man see this is the whole thing i don't think that you can get to that level and be just naturally one. funny like it's there's too much discipline to it and the thing is I, i've seen fair, this over fair. and over again like yeah. if you are naturally funny it's because you're in the moment all the time and that's mad because you are having like a personally good life it means that you're constantly present yeah everything's new to you That'll everything's catch up an adventure. With you eventually surely well, it's, in the society we have, you can't just constantly live in the moment your whole life. But this is the whole definition, right? Like, it's like... Well, that's such a builder thing to say. Exactly. <laughs> it is. Yeah. See, yeah. people on dopamine, they'd be like, dude, I would much rather live till 30 and die in a blaze of glory than, like, die with my mortgage paid off at 100. They don't want that shit. I hate the fact that my I hate the fact that I'm in debt. Like I hate it. What? I hate the fact that I'm in debt. Yeah. I ha- I just want yeah. it because it's not stable. As early as I possibly can, I want that paid off. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, it all makes sense. It does, doesn't it? it? It's very. It's, it's a very interesting way of. Looking. But anyway, it pains me. What? <laughs> when I'm in debt, when I owe anyone my like. Uh, uh, I've thought about this a bit, but the, like the financially responsible thing to do more often than not would actually be because I have an offset account. Not to get too boring and financial and technical, right? I have an offset account, so uh, whatever money I have in this offset account, it counts against whatever I owe the bank. So there's less interest I pay. Mm. So whenever my tax bill comes in, uh, I should wait till the last possible minute to pay that tax because I could keep that money in the offset account. Therefore, I'm paying less interest. But I just hate the fact that I owe... I, I just... When I see that and I'm like, you owe the government this much money, I'm like, just pay it, just pay it, just pay it. It's like, I hate I hate it. I hate it. I hate being in debt. <laughs> I can't stand it. I, I want to do... A, in one of the other podcasts I want to do is uh, like financial responsibility, actually. But... Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I would be very interested in that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, go on. That's just a little personal segue that reaffirms the, the builder... Uh, that I fit. Yeah, I think it just look. It seeps out into every element of your life. I think that like if you if if you're going to uh, look, and if you think that it works for you, and obviously it is working for you, that's fine. But I'm saying that like maybe there's other questions that you can be asking that are better. Yeah, sure. So I think that the question that is because you know what stressed me out the last two weeks of my life. And it is because I have shifted my question. I, I used to uh, constantly ask, how do I make this situation funny? Like that, that would be the, basically the question. Now the question is constantly like, how do I improve things? And now I'm trying to shift the question to, how do I improve things and have fun? But, you know, it, it takes a while for this shit to change. Do but some it, coke. See, that's the fucking thing that's going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> You're gonna it will be. Out. Yeah, I'll just be one of those comedians that comes out and is like, yeah, let's just fly for three of my parents. What's your name? Uh, it's a pretty shit name. Um, but yeah, I think I think that the now that now the question has changed to how do I improve things, and now that I have to go out and do a show, uh, I I look at the show completely differently. And it kind of irks me and I find it really frustrating doing the show now because it's kind of just like this bit needs to be improved while I'm saying it, while I'm saying the joke or okay. while I'm like saying the setup or anything like that. I'm just like, this doesn't work yet. Right. And I think that that's really good because it just like makes the show a lot better towards the end because you're constantly thinking about it in that mode. But see, the, the very fact that I've just like sh- shifted it to how do I improve things, it's moved me more towards this idea of contribution like I, I just think that my life is more geared towards that so anyway 
I guess the question is like, sure. what do you think that you're asking yourself frequently? What do you, what do you, what do you reckon the primary question would be? Mm. And also ask yourself that at home because it's important. It's a really important question. I don't even... Um, I wouldn't be able to say if there's one overarching question that I'm consistently asking myself. Yeah. I might be in my subconscious, but no, not nothing that's consciously popping up right now. Exactly. It's not a conscious thing. Yeah. That's the other thing. But anyway, you don't have to answer it now. But think about it and something will start to emerge. There will be this theme that keeps coming back in your life. And I think... That question, purely because that's what your brain does, it's an assessment tool. That is what is driving your life, whatever that question is. And so if you're able to change that question, your whole life changes, obviously, because like would, that's yeah. most of what your brain is thinking that's about the all the time. Isn't it? Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's, that's deep. My thought on you, it. You, it is. You definitely, you said we were going to, uh, this was going to be deep and it was. And see, it, it, it gets a little too deep, doesn't it? Like it gets, because it is, it's the it's most personal thing. It's confronting. It? It's too deep. That's what I was worried about. <laughs> Talking about the goal, the, the objective of your life. <clears throat> the objective of your life that you have determined. And you know what's really scary about that as well? Is admitting that and exposing that is like, it, it shows all of your insecurities at once. That's what's really scary. Like, it's just like you laid bare entirely. Uh. I reckon, dude, you know what? Like, I reckon it's like more, more brave finding out what that is than just like streaking down the street naked. Like, it's, it, you, you are really stripping yourself bare if you figure out what that question is. And this goes back to that point that we were talking about with like spiritual autolysis, right? Or whatever it's called, where you're just like, you just write down on a piece of paper what do you know and you find out very quickly that you don't know much yeah and it's 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 very confronting i think this is the same thing but i think that it's important and if you like if you get it if you actually get what that question is like it's well it is life changing it is life changing so it's something to think about anyway yeah definitely <laughs> thank you thank you <coughs> yeah i'm still trying to think um no, I, I look, look. Leave that with me in a in a future podcast. I'll um, I'll contemplate that question and, and and try to come back with an answer. Well, man, I hope that I've given you some tools to think about in what direction. Because even if you can just figure out, if you can figure out chemically what you're driven by out of those four, that's the first step. I think the next step after that is out of those, I guess, psychological questions. Which one's driving you? Hmm. Like if you're just thinking about it like that, you start narrowing it down pretty quickly. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. I guess that's the end of the pod. Very interesting. <laughs> well, we've still got some time. I want to talk about, um, obviously there'll be a huge rabbit hole to dive into here. So as briefly as possible, but your show, your stand-up shows about media bias, by the way, just really quickly uh, for the listeners, uh, where, are you, where are you playing? Melbourne Comedy Festival, I guess. Oh, no, I'm doing Adelaide Fringe and then I'm doing Melbourne Comedy Festival. Okay. I'm also doing the Melbourne uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival. So see us both there. Mm. Um, still not off the table that we do a live podcast. Uh, yeah. Well, what look, do you guys think? Yeah, all right. What, if is, if what do you guys feedback. think, hey? <laughs> no, I don't... Li- look talked about this in the last podcast but any any message that starts with oh in this podcast i just don't even open it now um <laughs> because that, and it's sad because there'd be some people that would be giving really positive feedback or constructive criticism but there's just so much toxicity in those messages yeah yeah, yeah, uh, yeah i just yeah. can't do it anymore yeah i really can't. i should do. i should don't do it no i should be able to do, i should i want to get to a point where i can actually sift through uh, to, to realize what is valid criticism, what is not, and not be emotionally affected by what is not valid criticism. That's something I'm working on. Yeah. But to the point where, but I know it's, it's intrinsically, it's inbuilt into us. Like you said, when you have 100 comments, 99 of them are extremely positive, one isn't, that just affects you for whatever reason. Yeah. So I'm trying to get to a point where I'm invincible to that. But, because I don't think anyone is. No, <laughs> so, no. Uh, wish me luck. But really, really quickly on media bias, because I just finished um, 
manufacturing consent. Yeah. Um, what? What is the solution? Like, what do you think? What is your solution? Guys, obviously, briefly, because it's the end of the podcast. Dude, you know what's really sad? And um, I'm, I'm giving away basically the stand-up show, but there is none. Like, this so, is how it has been and always will be, and it's going to get more intense. So just making people aware of it is... Uh, I don't want to say good enough, but it's... It's the only thing you can do. It's the only do. thing you can do? Okay. But, dude, like... Or what about being a, you know, being a counterbalancer? You're already doing that. Yeah, but can you be a counterbalance to it? Like, if someone has, like, billions of dollars and then they can just buy up all these media newspapers... True. And you're just, like, one voice just saying, like, that's all bullshit. You might be able to affect a few hundred thousand people, but they're affecting tens of millions of people a day. And the thing is that also, they're not just affecting the people that read the papers, they're affecting the people who read the papers and then every, all of their social circle. Mm. So it, it's a it's a battle of money. And the other thing is that, the other thing about media bias is, Noam Chomsky's dissemination of a media bias is because the thing is, a better word for it is not bias. It's propaganda. Like he's he's just broken down how propaganda in the West works, which is much more sophisticated, much more surreptitious than it is in third world dictatorships. Mm. <coughs> And that's what was so breakthrough about his breakdown of it. It's, it's one of the greatest academic achievements in history. Um, but the thing is, it was written in the 80s. And what I was saying in my stand-up show actually is that, you know, by the 30s, the people that were the architects of the modern propaganda model were bragging that propaganda has become so effective that there's no such thing as democracy anymore. Like... They had they had hacked democracy by 1930, and so now it's like you know, were the heads of media back then saying that it was the Ministry of Information that was set up by uh, Woodrow Wilson because they, they they had wartime propaganda. Sure, right? The, fuck, I'm giving away the whole show, but look, whatever, who cares? Uh, it's wartime propaganda that they were setting up. Nice little preview. Yeah, uh, and. This was for World War One. They were trying to figure out how they could shift public opinion to move America into war, right? And these geniuses that were part of it, like Bernays and Walter Lippmann, um, they figured out how to shift public opinion quickly. It was the necessity of war, like what we we're talking about before. That warfare just makes you come up with all of these ingenious inventions quickly because there's just so much pressure. Um, and so they did that. They just like advanced propaganda so quickly by World War One. Um, then what happened by the third, like after the war, they realized like, Hey, we can use these tools on the domestic population to get the domestic population to do what we want all the time, which is what they moved into. And by the thirties, like the, the tools had just become so advanced that like democracy was just unnecessary at that point. Like it was, it was just completely hacked by then, but now propaganda is getting so intense that like, you know, because like social media exists now. It's not even just like figuring out demographics and how to shift particular demographics against your will and things like that. Like they they have data on you specifically. They know like words, they, you know, and like AI is getting to the point where it can just like, they can show you a sentence. They can see which words you're reacting to by like your retinas moving. And then they can just like craft a message perfectly suited to you specifically, not just your demographic. Like before it was kind of just like, oh, you know, males age 20 to 30 they'll respond to this and like you know 60 percent of the males age 20 to 30 would respond to that but now they can like craft a message specifically to you that's what it's getting to now so the thing is like there's no solution no no there is look this is what Kevin Rudd has, right? This, 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 is, this is Kevin Rudd's solution. And everyone always is just like, oh, this is really cynical and shit like that. But dude, this is, this is a scary subject. This is the subject as well. Like there's nothing else that matters after propaganda. Like uh, media bias is the subject that works. People always count to people like, I don't know, like Franklin D. Roosevelt or John Curtin or Bernie Sanders that bucked the trend. Yes, sometimes conditions get so bad in society that like you see people just see through the propaganda. But the point is, since this propaganda model has been set up, the, the party that has been backed by banks has won 98% of elections. So it's very rare that like conditions get so bad that people are like, that's it, and then they just vote someone else in, right? <coughs> 
Kevin Rudd's solution, and I think that like this is the most practical one, is he wants like a royal commission into uh, he wants a royal commission into Rupert Murdoch. He's not expecting that the royal commission is going to get because this is what happens with royal commissions all the time. It's just like you know all these facts come out. They're usually just you know like they they put certain judges in there and stuff like that. So they're just kind of like hiding it and watering it down, and then they put out these watered down recommendations, and then those recommendations don't get implemented. That's what happens at a royal commission most of the time. What he's hoping that the Royal Commission does is put this consciously into the public's mind that Murdoch is manipulating democracy, which is, this is, there's like so much academic research on this. And like, that's that's the meat of my show. So I'm not going to go so into that at the moment. But like, they, you know, uh, it's unequivocal. Like that, Rupert Murdoch is the most powerful man on earth. He decides who's who are the kings. He is the kingmaker, and not just the kings of one kingdom, right? Like across the entire Anglosphere, bar Canada, <coughs> the US, the UK. Most of the time, whoever he says is king is going to be king. There's very few exceptions. And he's an Aussie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I'm proud of True that man. Blue, mate. <laughs> I'm proud of it. That's sick, isn't it? That an Aussie is the king. You wouldn't maker. expect that. No, <coughs> he's intuitive. I'll give him that. He's a smart guy. But anyway, he's like I guess what what the game plan is is by making a royal commission into it. You're just getting that idea into people's heads that like Murdoch is controlling democracy. That he's like that he has too much power. You're just making that a mainstream opinion. And then what will happen? I'm guessing is that the share price of Fairfax, oh sorry, of uh, News Corp will go down so much that other billionaires will just be like, oh well, this is a steal, and they'll take it because the whole thing about news is. It doesn't make money. It's not about, like, it is an investment. Like, Murdoch doesn't care about them. Like, he buys up papers that lose money all the time because he, with that, he can control elections and then he can get entire governments to make him money. So, like, with broadband and shit like that. Like, he was able to just trash broadband entirely to suit his business model. So, he got an entire federal, like, government. He got a country to get worse broadband than Kenya, which is like, you know, this is like the rail line of the 21st century. It's like basically just being like, oh, instead of having a rail line, let's just have like a long string of camels from Brisbane to Melbourne. That's essentially what like happened with broadband, right? That's the level of power that he has. It's just being like, you go so against your interests that you make infrastructure that is worse than Kenya's to suit my business model. That's, that's power, right? Um, so yeah, like what he's hoping is that there's just other billionaires that take some of the shares from News Limited, so it kind of diversifies it. So you at least have in America, at least at least in America, there's a few billionaires competing for the hearts and minds of the public instead of just having one billionaire control all information. I think that's the end game, anyway. Doesn't, I think that's as good as it gets. Um, forgive my <laughs> ignorance here, but. Uh, does he own Fairfax as well? He tried to. He's tried many times to buy out Fairfax, but he doesn't. But the thing is, who does run Fairfax? Peter Costello, who's the financiers of, of Fairfax. It's a bunch of investment firms. So, And, and on top of that, and, and the main point is, dude, Fairfax is dead. Like, it has no readership at all. It's 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 a it's what's their main paper again? Redundant. Well, I I guess it's the, the age now. Do they have the Herald? City Morning Herald, yeah. But it's like it's it's um it's under Channel Nine now. Like it's because that's the other thing that keeps happening in media. It just keeps consolidating. Yeah. So really, yeah. all you have in this country is Rupert Murdoch, Peter Costello. Gee, I wonder who he votes he's for. He's gonna die soon. Sure, he's like what ninety or something. Yeah, but he's fucking son will take. It's just a clone. It's a clone. Doesn't he have a f- he so he needs to have a few sons, then they'll compete against him. <laughs> yeah, that'll diversify. Doesn't he have a few sons? <coughs> what? Doesn't he have a few sons? Yeah, but like, dude, I'm pretty sure it's like the royal family. It was just like an ear yeah, and a spear. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the oldest yeah. one's going to get it. <coughs> Sorry. It's got corona. So yeah, that's pretty much it. I think so. Yeah. Fucking Kevin Rudd. Okay, well, this is, this is no solution. No, there isn't. But dude, I'm really glad that you read that book because honestly, that is the most important book I think that has been written in the last 200 years. Yeah. Could could you tell just the average um, person in the public maybe just look where the money is, follow the money trail at at the very least of what? See where the money's coming from these media outlets, so then you know the interest to some degree. Yeah, you know which that's absolutely the case. Like it's the same thing when people are always like, "Oh, left wing ABC." 
Look again, those labels, it's part of the propaganda model. Like uh, they go into it at length, Bernays and Lipman, about how they use those labels to control a public. But um, so look, even uh, what? So just really quickly in the interview, it was really interesting when I did not expect that when Kevin Rudd said ABC is a mouthpiece for the Greens. Well, see, what he's saying there is that the ABC is funded by the government. The government is the Liberal Party. so And, like, there's this perception because of the Murdoch press that the ABC and SBS support the Labor Party, which is f- fucking moronic. What, you think that, like, the Liberal Party gives out $1.2 billion a year to the Labor... Like, to, to give, like, free advertising to the Labor Party? It's ridiculous. Like, what it does is it funds that and it makes sure that, like, things are off the table, like certain topics, like say like, you know, the Liberals' terrible economic management is never discussed. Um, the Liberals' terrible e- environmental record is never discussed. Like when it, a really good example of that is like with the Murray-Darling, right? Murray-Darling had like these, you know, never seen before mass fish kills because of the horrendous water corruption that has happened under the Liberal Party. Never mentioned once in the ABC, never once. This is the public broadcaster that's supposed to be informing the public of what's going on. Not mentioned. Um, th- that's the level of corruption that happens there, right? Now, the other thing that happens is that what they have figured out is that what you want is you want the Murdoch press constantly backing the Liberal Party. What do you want the ABC and SBS to do? You want them to give off the visage that they're like lefty or whatever so they attract that audience that's just like, oh, yeah, Liberal Party, they're terrible. But what you want that Audi- what you want that audience exposed to constantly is that the alternative to the Liberal Party, which is the Labor Party, are shit that they're terrible, that they're like, you know, not going far enough, that they're just one and the same. The Liberal Party and the Labor Party both aren't going to do anything on climate change. They've both got bad environmental records. Like nothing could be further from the truth. And so what you do to do that is you make sure that you get journalists in, uh, employed like Virginia Trioli and, you know, fucking basically all of them, like Tony Jones and all this shit. Like these people that I would be willing to bet money Maybe they don't vote at all and they do that thing that some journalists are like, I'm not voting, but like their sympathies would lie with the Greens. If you have that sympathy lying with the Greens, you have enough plausibility, the Murdoch press has enough plausibility to be like, look at all those loony lefty latte sippers over there. Labour and the Greens, they're all the same, just dumping them in that basket. So it gives them a narrative to work with. But it also, because they're the Greens, and dude, nobody hates the Labour Party more than Greens voters, Right. So they just sit there and fucking attack the Labor Party on their credentials as a government. So you have mm. all, like them attacking them from two different fronts. That's what he's saying there. It's, okay. a, it's a genius move. It's very smart. So you have the people at the top behind the scenes stopping the Liberal Party from uh, stopping like attacks on the Liberal Party from economic and environmental and schooling fronts. And you have the people at the bottom giving off that social justice latte sipper vibe, attacking the Labor Party on that, of just being like, you did an ad that just had white people in it, like that kind of shit. It's very smart. I have seen, uh, I uh, very briefly from what I have seen on uh, of highlights of the comedians on the ABC, they do go after Scott Morrison and Tony Abbott, but more so on cultural issues. On cultural issues? And the other thing, yeah, always on cultural issues because they're fucking idiots anyway. But like the thing, the other thing is that like, the, the the role of the ABC and again on social issues, yeah, they're never going to get anyone smart enough to say like these are the why why are they going to talk about the economic issues first of all because that's like the Liberal Party's main thing that they're always saying is like we're better economic managers which is just a crock anyway but like um the other reason why is because those kind of things those Bernie Sanders issues right like healthcare the environment the economy these kind of things yeah they shift votes but sitting there and just being like Scott Morrison's racist like. You either believe that or you don't. It's like, yeah, that's right, by the right. by, you know? So they attack them on those things. But the, the other thing that the main perception is what he's saying as well with, with the ABC and the SBS is like, know that they're never going to get those votes. It's not about not getting those votes. It's about splintering the Labor Party's vote. It's about saying that the alternative is terrible. Yeah. Like Labor Party's shit. Yeah. That's what they're trying to do there. And, and, and just really briefly to end... Um yeah, I guess this is me being, maybe it is being a subject of uh, that propaganda model, but you just always, it's something you've actually, uh, I never thought about this, but everyone just says, oh, la- you know, Labour and Greens, Labour and Greens, they associate them together. Uh-huh. 
but they're very they're they're different parts. They're completely entirely different. They preference of, each other. Yeah, they preference each other, but like you know. Uh, the liberals in one nation preference each other like Clive Palmer and, and the liberals preference each other are they yeah. the same party no they like they have completely different yeah no one platforms. has that same uh, one nation and liberals one nation and liberals no, no one puts that together no. but Labour Greens seems to be some sort of coalition exactly for and, want of a better word <clears throat> and <clears throat> that stems to Murdoch Press like these are Murdoch Press talking points yeah and there is a really good reason that they're doing that why because the, the Greens are never going to win office. They are too far off the spectrum for the average Australian. And, and the voter base would be just in, entirely different. Exactly. Be, well, definitely historically, maybe now it's coalesced a little bit, but the, the working class battler from Western Sydney is very different never to someone gonna who's going to vote for the Greens, right? Yeah, but they're trying to uh, uh, conflate the two because like, the Greens' agenda is a lot more... I don't know, look, look, perceived to be a lot more extreme than like the Labour Party's agenda and the Liberal Party's agenda. It's not mainstream politics. It's like, it's it's a fringe view yeah. that maybe 10% of Australia shares, right? Mm. But you're trying to get that view that, if you look at this polls, 70% of the public agrees with the Labour Party's agenda. So how do you fucking get a party that is like 70% of the population agrees with in power 30% of the time? You try and conflate them with fringe ideas, and like you, you, you never get them, you never get their policy agenda heard by the major public, you, by the majority of the public. You just get it constantly attacked. Anyway, that's how it works. No, yeah, very interesting. All right, well, thank you for the little preview of your stand-up show. <laughs> yeah, well, that was it. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> but give me money anyway. Yeah, huh? come to mine as well. Yep, give me your money. No politics. It's just jokes. <laughs> Good jokes, though. Oh, all right. Okay, well, you're trying to, like, scab some of my fucking views now. Vice versa, are you trying to scab mine? Yeah, well, you know, look, just don't be cheap. Just come see both our shows. Yeah, come on, Melbourne. All right, see you next time. See ya.